minds that are set in their way, soften them right now in Jesus' name. Right now, do it, God. Do it. Do it right now. God, all stress and anxious and, and just rip it away in Jesus' name. Have your way, God. Have your way. Oh, I feel the Lord. Come on, just for a few more seconds. Pray in your heavenly language. Tell, you, tell Him you love Him. This is something nobody else can do but you. Come on, just 30 seconds. Jesus, you're wonderful. You're wonderful, God. Your eyes are a fire, Jesus. Your hair is white as wool. Voice of many rushing waters. Oh, there is none like you, Jesus. There is none like you. We could search the world and there would never be one like you. And there will never be another. God, who else is the beginning and the end? God, you are the amen. I don't even know what that means, but you're the amen. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Jesus, this, this Pentecost Sunday, do it again. Do it again. Add another chapter to the book of Acts. This morning, 1300 Mount Vernon Avenue. Write another chapter in the book of Acts. Have your way, Jesus. Ra- lavish us. Arrest us. Sweep us away, Jesus. Oh, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Yes, we're there. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Somebody's anxiety just got lifted. Somebody's anxiety just got lifted. I see the, 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 the light bursting forth into darkness and hopelessness. Right now, Jesus, this is better than any message. Come on, God, have your way. Have your way. Do it, Jesus. Do it. We're open. We're open. We're open. Have your way. Have your way, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. He's putting his finger on something somebody's hidden for a long time. Give it to him. Give it to him right now. Give it to him. Oh, Jesus, you make all things new. You make all things new. (laughs) Hebrews tells us that all things are under your feet. And although we don't see it now, we see you. And that's good enough. (laughs) I will never run out of ways to praise you. I will never get tired of gazing at you, Jesus. Oh, God, right now, would you stir first love? Somebody's gotten bored in their faith. Somebody feels stale and stagnant. Stir first love, God. Remember what it was like when you first got saved. Remember what it was like when God healed your body. Remember what it was like when God answered that prayer. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, stir first love, God. Oh, stir it, stir it, stir it, God. Give us the faith to walk on waters again. Give us the faith to pray and believe you'll do it, God. Give us the faith to believe, God, that this mountain, if we say move, it'll move. God, give us the faith because we're staring at you. Jesus, oh, you've already defeated the darkness and principalities of this world, God. So it can no longer have room in our lives. This is your bride. We are your bride. We are your bride. And God, we won't be distracted any longer. We will not be distracted any longer. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Do it, God, do it. Now we turn our gaze to you. Our ears are open. Our hearts are open. Speak now. Your children are listening. Jesus name. And all God's children said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel the Lord. I feel the Lord. I'm going to do my best to tend to his presence. 
Thank you, Jesus. You know, I just want to share a few things. Um, this has been a unique year for Daniela and I. Um, we went from ministering every weekend. We went from multiple events once a month to just kind of a time where um, we've been listening because ultimately we learned to give back our Isaac. We learned to give back our Isaac. And it's been such a beautiful thing that we didn't, we started to fall in love with what the Lord gave us and called us to that we took our eyes off of Him. And it became about what we were doing and how good a message we could have or how spontaneous we could be in worship. And because God will honor His name, He showed up and touched people. He didn't do it for Blaine. He didn't do it for Daniela. He did it for the sake of His name. But this year has been so beautiful. The Lord's been redefining. Um, I don't know about you, but if you're praying for your family, keep praying. Because my family's here. No offense, I love you guys. But I did not want to be in Upper Sandusky ministering to my family. I thought we would be in Columbus or the nations or doing something even more here in Marion. I thought that we would be traveling and doing more. But the Lord told me, how can I trust you with the nations if I can't trust you with your family? And the Lord is, he's doing it. He's moving in such a way that I've never seen before. He's moving in my family. He's softening the hardest of hearts. He's bringing reconciliation. He's teaching um, and, and destroying religious barriers. And, and it's such a beautiful thing. I never thought on a Monday morning Bible study, um, when my grandpa passed away, uh, my dad and I, we started a new business together um, and, and we're in the logging business. And I said, hey, I'll do it. But, um, you know, we prayed about it and the Lord brought us in when we started this business. We, we talked about what I wanted, what he wanted. Um, I said, when I was at Pathway, Monday morning, we would have prayer, and I want to keep doing that. That's something I won't, I cherish that, and it, whether it was five minutes or an hour, we, we just uh, prayed, shared different things, and, and so here I am, Monday morning, um, time to be logging, buying trees, working on equipment, whatever I need to do, but we're instead in the presence of God, and I've been so just, just, just swept away of how He's coming in. And um, one, one Monday morning, I said, I think we're supposed to just cry out. And here's, here we are just crying out, praying. And it's just such a beautiful thing. Like he's, I, I feel like I know the Lord has never changed. But now more than ever, Josephine, I feel this for you Friday too. Just invite him in. And I know we're, we're like Pentecostal, so we have this language like, Holy Spirit, come, you're here. But, but sometimes we can confuse that for feelings and emotions. You know what I'm saying? But now more than ever, I feel the Lord saying, like, ask me, please. Invite me, please. Like, I, I feel, like Pastor Rowe had mentioned, he said it, so I feel comfortable confirming it. The hour is, is getting late. I feel like we're in the 11th hour, heading into the 12th. And the Lord's saying to his kids, hey, you better come in. It's getting dark outside. You better come in. And, and, and I feel that the Lord, McKenna asked us to speak. Thank you. That was so wonderful. We went to the McKenna's lock-in, and she asked Danny and I to speak. And Richie led worship in the teens. And, and I said, I, God, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't have a lot to say. Like, and so we read I don't, one, of, one of Paul's epistles. It was like um, Romans 1.1 1, 1 or something where it's like, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus. And we just got laid out. And then McKenna gets up and she's like, we can't leave. We have to stay here. And so we're soaking. Then McKenna gets back up and she goes, we still can't leave. If you got to go to the restroom, get out, you know, but we're here for God. And then a couple hours later, we're baptizing teens. That's, that's a biblical move of God. He's begging. He's saying, 
Invite me in. I'm dying to be a part. I've been on the outside looking in while you're saying I'm there, but I'm just dying. Let me in. And it's just gripping my heart. These encounter nights that Teresa ministered, or, or Minister Teresa um, shared that she was at Friday, um, it looks different every month, but we're just experiencing God come in and, and, and plow up the, the, what is it, the fallow ground. He's, he's plowing up this ground in this area um, that, that has grieved the Spirit, and we're, we're seeing miracles and signs and words, and, it's, and I don't think that any one person is going to take credit for it. It's just we welcomed Him in. We truly just welcomed Him in, and, and it's just it's blowing me away. And so, so this morning, I'm like, Lord, I don't have anything to say. I, I've come to that point. Like, I don't have anything to say. So if you don't come, I don't want to do it. I really don't. And, and, and it, it didn't used to be that way. When I first went to Bible college, I was like, man, I'm going to have a sermon. And then you meet Pastor Rowe and you're like, oh, man, I got to dress. My game's got to step up because he looks good. He talks good. He's a man of God. He's anointed. And he's creative. And I'm lacking like all of those things. <laughs> but that, that's still the Holy Spirit moving in him and through him. But the Lord, it took a long time for him to say, now you be you. You're not Rowan. You're, you're not Pastor Rowe. You're Blaine. And the body needs both of you. And, and so here I am, and, and, and it's just so wonderful that the Lord is like marked me with simplicity. I think it's because I can't handle too much. But it's literally Jesus. And, and that's, that's our heart's desire. And I believe, I'm going to get into my message this morning. Um, but I want to share this. I shared this Friday night. I believe as the hour is getting late, and as the times we're seeing what's happening in the world, this is a pivotal moment in the course of humanity. I'm not saying, the, the, Jesus says, nobody knows the day or hour, so we can pause. We, we can just say, we don't have to, you know. But Peter said, 2,000 years ago, these are the last days. So we can say it's the last days, but we don't know, nobody knows the day or hour. But I can tell you this, we have not been given a spirit of fear. We have not been given this spirit of anxiety and what's happening in the world and gas prices and grocery store prices and wars and rumors of wars. Why? Because it's here. It's in his word. So we know what's going to happen. And the Lord said, listen, um, he rebuked the religious leaders. He goes, you can look up and see, or maybe it's the disciples. Forgive me. Um, I'm not yet in seminary, so I don't know. It was a joke. Anyways, we'll keep going. He goes, how can you look up in the sky and say it's going to rain? I can do that. I can look up and be like, oh, goodness, I better get the windows rolled up in the vehicles because it's going to rain. But he goes, how can you not discern the time and the hour that we're in? And so I can look and sense the hour and see what's going on, but I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to panic. And so, and so what I feel right now that the enemy is doing in the body, he's bringing just this weariness. And there's a scripture that in the end, he will try to weary the saints. He's trying to distract the saints. And he's trying to say, did God really say? Is God really still moving? Is he this? If God is good, why did this happen, Ashley? Where was God at when this happened? And see, he is doing that and trying to weary the saints. And in this end time hour, I believe the question is going to rise both from the Father and from the world. And the Father is saying to you and me right now, who do you say that I am? He's looking at you right now and saying, Greg, who do you say that I am? And it was that night at the, at the youth event that I prayed for a young man. And I said, I don't know what this means, but the Lord's saying, who do you say that I am? 
And that has been stuck with me ever since that night. Like the Lord is saying, I'm asking my bride, who do you say that I am? And based off of how we answer that, will we'll, we'll, we'll dictate how the world experiences God through us. Because the world is also saying, who do you say that he is? And a lot of times the world is looking and saying, I, I'm hearing you say who he is, but I'm not seeing it on you. So that tells me I don't, want, I don't want what you're saying I need. Because you're saying this and living this. And so we have to respond. I love this scripture. Um, and I love the way Brian Simmons translates it. Um, what is it? Like many are called, but few are chosen. Well, Brian Simmons translates it. Everyone is invited, but few respond in excellence. And I believe this morning and... From, from here on out, it's all about how we as the bride respond to him, our king, our savior king, responding in excellence, responding with my life, responding with my body, responding with my mouth, responding everything I can do should be responding to who I say he is. And so he is asking this question, who do you say that I am? And I'm, I don't want lip service. See, he asked Peter three times because God is the reader of the heart. And he had to get Peter to get rid of religion and get rid of repetition and say, no, Peter, who do you say that I am? And finally, Peter, out of the overflow of his heart, said, you are the Christ. But it took Jesus asking him and saying, okay, Quit being religious. I know Pastor Rose here. I know this. I know you read your devotion this morning. But who do you say that I am? And I'm not interested in what you do on Sunday morning. I'm interested in who you say that I am with your life and with your heart and with your mind and with your finances and with your household. Are you getting this? He's saying, who do you say that I am? Because in that hour, it'll be those that say... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It'll be those that literally live in the reality of on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. So gas prices, do what you will. Anxiety, do what you will. Why? Because I say that He is Christ, the Son of the living God. That all things are under His feet and He is in me. So I've already won. So yes, inflation might happen. Things might happen. But I serve of God of abundance. And I'm his favorite son. Go ahead and say that. I'm his favorite daughter. Say that. Yes. Amen. You can say, I'm his favorite. And fight your neighbor about it. Just not here. You'll do it in the parking lot. You can compete with the Save-A-Lot people. I'm kidding. God loved them. Get them, God. But, but listen, we are in a crucial hour. And this morning, I, I pray that I have time. I do, I believe. I'm not going to rush it. So hopefully we get through this. I really wrestled because I wanted to spend time on who do you say that I am. As a matter of fact, I almost feel the stirring to start like a YouTube channel or something and teach this for about a year. Who do you say that I am? So that we as the bride can really grasp this reality of who he is. All right. My message title this morning, if you're taking notes, is The Altar. The Altar. The Altar. My first scripture is going to be 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to read verse 10 through 13. Mm, Jesus. Who do you, I said when you respond to that question, it affects everything about you, the way you talk, the way you walk. So in other words, being saved looks like something. Listen, I'm, I'm not condemning. Hear me. Hear my heart. I'm never condemning, okay? I can just kind of be rough around the edges. 
Maybe it's because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe it is because I'm a logger, you know, and I'm just rough and I'm, I'm trying to be better behaved. You know, my wife is, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And all the men said, there it is. Um, so she's helping me. But I'm never trying to offend you or hurt you. But I, am, I, I feel that the church needs to reclaim our language. Especially the word saved. I am never against baby steps. I remember there was a... There, there, let me put it this way. I'll use Abigail for an example. Abigail and I, we're, we're homies, right? We both get saved. There's going to be a season where Abigail's sprinting, encountering God, encountering God, being transformed into His image. And I'm in a season of like, okay, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm walking a little slower. There's nothing wrong with baby steps. But there's going to be a season where the, the sprinter Abigail takes a season of waiting, and I'm sprinting. So there are seasons in how you grow. It can be rapid and it can be waiting. So I'm not against baby steps, but we have to take back this language of being saved, being separated to God, for God. And when I'm saved, it looks like something. I'm constantly being conformed into His image. So it really, we have to question, if I'm saved, but I haven't changed any in the past two years, there's a problem. I know people that say, been saved for 30 years, and I'm like, oh God. You're more bound up than some people that go to clubs every weekend. Like, there are people that are more free than you, and they don't even claim Christ. Now, that's not beating you up. That's saying, okay, if I'm bound, Blaine's saying I can get free, I want that. Because his blood paid um, for our peace. For our iniquities, for our transgressions. So really, how many of you want to go to the grocery store? No, we'll do something better. Go to the gas pump and pay for 10 gallon and say, you know what? I paid for 10. You keep five. I'll only take five. That's all I want. I'm good enough. I'm, I've got gas. <laughs> Gasoline. How many of you would do that? None. You say, I paid for the 10 gallon. I want it. So Jesus is like, my blood paid for you to be saved. To be set apart, to be healed, to be delivered, to be freed, to be conformed into my image. And I want it. I want it. You're mine. You were, Pastor Betty, you were created in his image. So he's saying, you're mine. So I don't want half of you. I'm a jealous God. I will not share you. I want all of you. And so I want to reclaim this, that being saved looks like something. We should be constantly being conformed into His image. We should constantly be going from glory to glory and faith to faith. It looks like something. And there's a season, like I said, of sprinting. And there's a season of walking. And there's a season of stillness. So wherever you're at tonight, this morning, sorry, just make sure you're not stuck. Make sure you're not like, yep, say, blessed and highly favored. Betty, don't get me. You get to church on Sunday morning, you're like, if Betty just didn't get a word from the Lord, I'm good. If I can just skate through and see her and say, blessed and highly favored... Head, not the tail, but you don't mean it. That's not good. You should be saying, okay, I am stuck. So I need to get to a father or mother of the faith and say, Pastor Roe, get your hand up on me and pray me out of this rut. Because I'm stuck and I'm saved and I want to, be, I want to start to look like him. Does that make sense? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, this is, this is what I want to get to right now this morning. And, and, and this is what I want to talk about, looking like something being saved. So Paul says this, according to the grace of God, which has been given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed of how he builds 
For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Um, And then he goes on to say, if anyone builds on this, but listen to this. Verse 13, he says, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. D, capital D, being Jesus. Jesus is the day. He says, the day will declare the work that you've done. He's like, oh my goodness, where are we going? Well, I said the, 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 the title of this message is called The Altar. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, listen, I've been given a gift, a grace gift, as a wise master builder. Now, I heard Chris Valentin preach on this one time, and I just never forget some of the language. And that word builder is the Greek word architecton. Architecton. And when we break it down, that's how we, in our English language, get the word architect. Architect. So, I mean, I'm not like a wise master builder in a, in a worldly sense. Like, what do you get an architect for, Stan? Well, you come in and you get, you get somebody like Stan or you get Abigail's dad or somebody that's an architect or like an architect to come in and draw up plans and blueprints and somebody that knows what they're doing to build a structure that will last. They know what they're doing, right? They know the tools they have. They know the measurements they need. They know everything that's needed. So Paul says, I've been given a gift as a wise master builder. And what if I tell you this morning, we are all master builders, We are all architects of the kingdom. In our Monday morning Bible study, I get on, my Aunt Dana's there and I get on her all the time. I love giving her a hard time. And um, I, I, I tell her, I'm like, Aunt Dana, you have to realize the power of life and death is in the tongue. You have the power to create or destroy with your tongue. And it seems like not just to her, I just give her a hard time. But I say that so many times to everybody at the Bible study, it seems like. I almost get tired of repeating it. But there's, so why do I bring that up? I bring that up because as a believer in the body, saved, really saved. Sad we have to say that, but I'm saved, saved. I, I, I I had a radical encounter, okay? A radical encounter. I'm a son or a daughter. I'm not perfect, but I'm pursuing. Okay, I have now become a wise master builder. And I believe this morning, I want to say you've become a master builder with your mouth. And the things you say and the things you do are determining what you're creating. And I feel the Lord so crazy heavy right now. And and throughout this week, as I've been preparing, the Lord is calling the bride, us, to put away your events, to put away your busyness, to put away all the things that we do out of repetition and start to go in the business of building altars. How do we... Well, I thought we were in the new covenant. Like, you know, do I have to be like Abram and... Do I have to be like Moses and do I have to build an altar? No, it's the things you say and the things you do are building something in the unseen that's affecting the scene. And I believe for far too long we've built golden calves and called it God. And the Lord is saying right now it's time to build altars to God because the hour's getting late. And you've played for far too long. It's time to come on in. And these architects are the ones, I I really believe women too. I am not putting off women. They are powerhouses. And most of us men would not be here without a godly woman. 
I wouldn't be. My mom prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed against all odds. And here I am. But I believe God is also stirring the hearts of men. Saying your wives need help. The women of the church need help. You know, it's time to come together in one accord. And it's time to build an altar to the Lord. And it's time that our mouth, what we start to say, is the overflow of the heart that answered who he is. I have had an encounter with God, so I say out of the over, I, I say out of this heart on fire for Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. My life is yours, and it's not just lip service. And out of that heart encounter, my mouth starts to speak. And as my mouth starts to speak, altars begin to be formed. And as altars are formed, God comes down. And when God comes down, darkness leaves. Now, if you think this is too spiritual, then you might need to get saved. Because I quickly learned there is nothing that is not spiritual about being saved. When I thought at first, like, I just don't want to be weird. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't want to be weird. Like, that's weird. I just want to be normal, you know. Uh, Had somebody come to our encounter night. She's like, yeah, you guys prayed for me two years ago. I was going to have to have my uterus removed. I had a cancer lump on it. And you guys prayed and it was gone. Didn't have to get it removed. She had a baby right there as, as 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 a... you know, testimony, but she goes, um, I'm glad you guys don't pray in tongues. I'm like, you don't know me, do you? (laughs) I'm like, but why is it weird? And we started to talk and I'm like, nothing is like not spiritual about God. He's all spiritual. Those who worship will worship in spirit and I should have said, and then I do truth. Anyways, I messed it up. I'll get it next time. But everything is spiritual. About God. And so, so we have to reclaim this language and we have to allow God to ravish our hearts and, and, and just totally fill us and have us. So, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth will speak and start to create where God can come and take back every principality, every dominion, all of our families, all of our households. I've made it my mission that in our family business and in our household, God, let this be an altar. Let, let this, let this be a sacrifice for you. And I realized when Danny and I were going downtown and doing these events in our team, we were just saying, God, we want to build an altar in downtown Marion. And then the church, see, the problem is we've backed away for so long saying that's too spiritual. But the problem is when the church backs off, darkness has a past to build idols. And so you go downtown and you see all these idols and you say, well, I don't see them. But God, ask God, say, give me your eyes. And you'll see idols erected all over different parts of Marion. And you'll see mediums and tellers open for business in our city. And it all stems from the church saying, I don't want to be that spiritual. I don't want to be weird. What if, what, if, uh, what if you don't like me anymore? What if my friends think, oh, they're a little weird. They're out there. We have to say, God, let my heart burn for you. I want to do what's on your heart. I want to love the things you love and hate the things you hate. God, I want my mouth to speak. We will be held accountable for every word that is released out of our mouth. <laughs> Thank God I got saved. Those first, you know, six... 18 years, I got a little bit to, I repented though, I'm good, right? But now I'm like, God, everything that's released out of my mouth, I want it to matter. So when I pray, I'm not just rambling. I'm, when I'm doing things or, or whatever, I'm saying, God, what I release, let it create something kingdom. And so we are wise master builders. 
We are wise master builders. And like I said, it overflows our mouth how we answer the question, who do you say that I am? And friends, we are going to come together as individuals and as families. And I believe that God is going to stir us to start to build altars everywhere we go. And people will start to encounter God through fiery men and women crying out to him on a street corner that when we leave, those that pass will encounter the goodness of God. Why? Because what they don't see is we put an altar there. And God is there. So, I I mentioned that that there's idols. Um, I, I look at Moses and Aaron. This is, this is so crazy. Moses, here's the beautiful picture. Moses is on the mountain. He's having an encounter. He's receiving words. He's eye to eye, face contact with the Lord. I want that. He's, he's face contact, locked in. Boom. He, he is, he is uh, when, when Jeremiah said, uh, when he's rebuking Israel, and he goes, you stopped listening to the voice. Well, Moses was listening directly. He's with the Lord. And here's Aaron and the tribes down here, and they get bored, and they, get, uh, they let their lampstand burn out, if you will. And what do they do? They erect an idol and an altar, and they call it God. And friends, I, I feel like we have to rip down idols, and we have to build altars. Because people are looking at the idols, even in churches, and saying, okay, you're telling me this idol's good. You're telling me this thing can free me. You're telling me this thing is alive. They look at it, see that it's dead, see that it won't help, and they leave and say, God isn't real. God didn't touch me. How is God supposed to save me? But they looked at an idol. Because the body, the bride had been distracted. And instead of waiting, blessed are those who wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will never be put to shame. We get to be like Israel and we get bored and stagnant. And God, I'll do it my way. I know enough Christianese and I know enough scriptures that will build an idol, but we'll call it God. And the Lord's saying, no more. The hour's getting late. Let's rip down the idols and build altars. And so then Moses, we see through his life. What encounter leads to countenance? That people saw the glory of God on Moses. And we see that the altar, or that the the idol and the statue still led to death. And friends, when you have an encounter, remember I said the Christian life looks like something. Encounter is where it all starts. Intimacy is the life from encounter. But intimacy isn't just laying in the river of God, although I love that. It's just laying and, Daddy God, you're good and I'm soaking in your presence. I love that. I do. It's not all prophetic words and pictures and and, and, and visions and dreams. I love that. But it's not all that. Sometimes it's saying, we're going to build something together through intercession and prayer. And we're going to build this altar and we're going to cry out to God and we're going to see Him come. It's almost like I'm tying up my my spiritual work boots and saying, we're going to see my family saved. We're going to see my body healed. We're going to see God manifested in our city. And so, yes, I love to lay in the river of God and get words and visions and dreams and all of that. I love all of that. But also, I'm going to get together and I'm going to get in the prayer room and get together with other prayer roomers and we're going to get together and we're going to build an altar to God. And I always say this, but I I can't help it. I have to say it. It's so good. I love Catherine Kuhlman. I love her. And she used to say the simple thing. And, and she would, I, lo, I, I always do an imitation. I hope I don't embarrass myself. But I listen to her YouTube videos and she goes, friends, 
You can't give what you don't have. And I'd be at Pathway working and I'd be rewinding it, sanding, and just listen to that like 50 times over. Her just saying that until I got it. And I realized I can't give or teach how to build altars if I'm not an altar. I can't go into our Friday night upper meetings and say, encounter night, but I don't live in encounter. You can't give what you don't have. So I'm up here this morning speaking to you, not from concepts, but from experience. That when you make your life, our bodies are supposed to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in me. This temple is holy, so there better be an altar in there. Where you say, but, but I don't agree with that. Like once saved, always saved. And like all of this jazz. And I don't have to do this. Like he loves me anyways. No, that's hot garbage. I'm the altar. I'm the sacrifice. And so every morning, God, I want to be pleasing to you. Here I am, God. And so we are to be the altar. And when we become the altar, we can lead others into saying, now you become an altar. Now let's get together and build an altar. And so we have to begin to build, become a life of this. Now the word altar, it it has this definition. Um, In the Old Testament, it is to offer a sacrifice, to kill something. You take the animal there, you know, the old butcher knife, wham! I'm sure there was more to it, but, uh, you know, and they'd clean it out and they would would put the, you know, the animal on the, only the acceptable animals on the altar. So it was dead, right? And if something's dead, that means it can't, live anymore. It's dead. I think the problem with some of us are we haven't died. Oh, I just want to keep this sinful nature with me. Go to the altar. Oh, no, 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 no. I think I'm more comfortable in the outer courts. I don't want to go into the holy of holies because I got to lose this right here. And I still want to walk with this limp right now. I still want to have this slight addiction in my back. I, I, it's not that bad. I hear that all the time. Well, my, my sin, it's not that bad. I said, well, then who's your standard? Because with God, there is no that bad or pretty good. It's either God or bad. That's it. He's the standard. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's like I have to have surgery and he gets the scalpel and it's like, you have to cut this off too. And he's like, are you on the altar or aren't you? Are you a sacrifice? Are you mine? Because if you are, I have my right to put my finger on that and say I don't like it. And so this idea of, of, of being us being the sacrifice and our life being the altar is that we're laying on it and the sinful nature is dead. That it has to die. It, it can't. And, and even if that stupid thing tries to creep up, you remind it you're dead. And so we have to have the sinful nature killed. In the New Testament, an altar is, has a lot of the same definition, but it also ref, it refers to the cross. That being on the altar, we eat from the place of the cross. Because remember, he said, this is my body. This is real food. Eat. So being on the altar means communion isn't once a month. It's daily. I'm communing with God. He said, well, you can't just live on bread alone, but by every word. So I'm consuming his word. I'm consuming him. And I'm just, God, anything you got for me, I'll take it. I'm not picky. And like, oh, I don't like that. Lose the, lose the onions and the tomato, and then I'll take it. No, it's, God, I want everything you have. Everything. Your written word, your spoken word. If I'm on the altar, that means I've, uh, that it's no longer I who live, that I was co-crucified on the cross with him, and so everything I consume is of him. 
That even means if the Netflix shows you are watching aren't good, they have to go. That means if the music I'm listening to, and I'm preaching this to myself, it has to go because if I'm on the altar, I have to be pleasing to Him. Because I'm His. And in the same way, when we gather together and build a corporate altar, what we do must be pure. So if you say, I don't like that song, well, who cares? It's not about you. It's singing to Him. We're, Danny and I have, have just had awesome conversations about worship and what it really is. And there are a lot of worship lyrics. There are a lot of Christian lyrics. Very few worship songs. Do you want to know why he came this morning when Richie sang that song? I saw the Lord. Because they're singing it in heaven. And it's worship. And it's pure. And he comes. We built an altar and what we started to do was sing a song and lift up a, 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 an offering and let it, be a, let it be a sweet sound to your ear. And we sing something and he goes, oh, I like that. That's pure. I'm their desire. I'll come. And that's when he comes and inhabits this place. Are you with me or am I losing you? You're good. Okay. So I want to talk about two altars this morning and I think I have enough time I can get through these two types of altars. Are you ready? Okay, the first altar is the inner altar. Turn to Psalm 5.3. Psalm 5.3. Pastor Rowe has been on a, on, a, on a topic of healing and wholeness. And I am so for healing. I believe it's biblical. I believe it's our mandate to lead people to healing and wholeness. I do. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe, let me repeat that one more time. It's our mandate to lead people to healing and wholeness. I believe as sons and daughters, if we see a brother and sister with something on their life, it's our mandate to say, there's freedom for that. I'm not trying to get the speck out of your eye. I'm saying, there's freedom for that. And so Psalm 5.3, I believe, will add altar to this healing and wholeness message that Pastor Rowe has been delivering. Um, and I'm going to read the Passion Translation. It says this, at each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice. At each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice. At each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice, God. As I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you. What did Pastor Rowe want us to do this morning? Pray. That's a sacrifice. I'm your sacrifice. Each and every morning, you will hear me. You will hear my voice as I prepare myself to prayer for you. Every morning, listen to this, I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. It is impossible to experience healing and wholeness altogether without being on the altar. There are some moments when God comes down in great power and holiness and heals you, boom, nothing flat. He heals you. But what about the scripture that says if the demons that were driven out come back and find it empty? So no matter if your healing is boom right now, again, same thing as I used Abigail and I as an illustration. Sometimes my healing takes some steps to walk out. And Abigail got healed, boom, right like that. It, it, it can go both ways. But the thing is, we have this, uh, this, this, this illustration from David that says, Each and every morning, you will hear my voice. Each and every morning, you will hear me say, God, I love you. God, I need you. Oh God, you're wonderful. Every morning, David's saying, you will hear my voice cry out to you as I prepare my sacrifice of prayer. And every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life 
on the altar and wait. Ooh, we don't like to wait. I've been guilty of this. You order, like I, I got a work truck and I'm fixing it up and I'm, I'm ordering my parts and I'm like, ooh, it's only 10 bucks for two days shipping. Get here. Why? I can't wait. Oh, I need this. Get it here. I can't wait. We like drive through. Why? Because we, we don't like to sit and have discussion anymore. So get it in the car, eat while we're on the road because we don't have patience. I told the youth group, like uh, I said, listen, some things are going to be hard for you to experience because it just goes against the whole grain of the culture. You're not entitled to anything. Sometimes you have to sit and wait on the Lord, but you'll never be put to shame. That's what the word tells us, not blame. And so listen, he's saying, I lay out the pieces of my heart. I'm vulnerable. Why? Because I know who you are. It goes back to what I said earlier. I've had an encounter and I can say, I believe this is who you are. And so it's safe to be vulnerable around you. It's safe. Did you hear me? You might have said, well, I had a best friend and I opened up to them and they told everybody my secrets. That's not the Lord. Well, I've got a hard heart because this person I had trust in and they left. So now I'm broken and I'm hurt. That's not the Lord. Well, this person hurt me and wounded me or this let me down or that let me down. And, but that's not the Lord. You, he is a safe place. You can be vulnerable with the Lord. If you want your healing, it looks like something. And oftentimes it's hard and it's, you have to be vulnerable and you have to have patience. But you can lay it on the altar and say, Lord, it's yours. You created it anyway. You know my father better than I do. You know my daughter better than I do. So even though that means I have to trust you, God, with my son or daughter, with my mom or dad, I'm putting them on the altar. God, even though it means I have to take my hands off of my finances when I've always been in control, I'm still going to lay it on the altar. God, do I have to trust you with this cancer? I'll lay it on the altar. It can be your emotions, it can be your finances, it can be anything. But David sets the stage beautifully that says, every morning, even on my bad days, even on my good days, even on my days I'm running late to work. Every morning, every, say that, every morning. every morning. One more time. That means every in Greek, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, in English, in French, in Spanish. Every means every. Every morning, here I am, God. Some mornings you may be like, "Woo, I'm doing good. My life is good. I've been going to Fit Warriors. I look good. I feel good. I'm jazzed. I look good. You know, for me, I got my nice pair of blue jeans and black T-shirt on. I'm looking good. You know, for some people, it might be I got my three-piece suit on. I'm looking good. And, and, and sometimes it may be like, God, here I am. I'm broken, run down, hurting, on the verge of feeling depressed. You know what I mean? I've, let's be real. There are bad days. But do you respond in excellence out of the overflow of I know you are who you say you are. So here I am, God, this morning. It might be rough. It might be ugly. But here I am. And here are the pieces. Because an appropriate sacrifice is a broken and contrite heart. That's scripture. And so you want to be healed. You want to be whole. You better make your life an altar. You want to see your family saved? You take dominion over that house and say, this house, there's an altar. So my children can come in with whatever foolishness they got going on. But when they hit that altar, they're going to experience the conviction of God. I didn't say condemnation. I said conviction. And conviction is an open door invitation to say, if you give me that, you can experience more. The altar of God. Every morning, I lay out the pieces Every morning you'll hear my heart and I'll wait for your fire. 
God is this. He is a consuming fire. Amen? What he does is his fire refines you. That hurts. I love this. Andrew and I were talking. I don't know. Some of you may know Andrew. And he's like, uh, Andrew said, isn't it funny that Maverick City came out and everybody was singing their songs and everybody was like, oh, Jesus, I want to be, what's that song? I want to be tried by fire, purified, take whatever you desire. And he goes, then God starts to do it. And they're like, ah, oh man, I got to walk away. I don't like this, but ask and you'll, so you'll sing it. So God is a consuming fire, and the first part of the fire is to purify. And he doesn't purify because he's condemning. He's purifying because he sees the ruby in you. He sees the diamond, and he says, I'm purifying you because you have value. You have mad value. Enough value that I died for you. Enough value that out of all creation, I made you in my image. So there's that fire that refined you, but then there's a fire that sustains you. Because remember, he's the resurrection and... So he doesn't just save you, but he sustains you. So after that fire refines you, it's the fire that burns within you to keep your lamp going. And the Holy Spirit's the oil. So there's nothing that you have to do, as Pastor Teresa said, there's nothing that you can do besides love the Lord and be a willing sacrifice on the altar. And he'll refine you and burn within you so that you will not get wearied out by the devil. What about my bad days? Here I am, Lord. Every sunrise, you'll hear my voice. There are mornings I barely make it to my truck to go to work, and I have that 30-minute drive from Upper to Marion. And I just, the days, even on the worst days, that I'm worried about a job or money or, you know, different things, when I call on the name of the Lord and say, here I am, dude. It's a rough morning. I'm wanting to be all anxious and things. And he comes. And when he comes, you have... A couple of things you can do. One is respond in excellence and he'll burn that fear and that worry up. If you respond in excellence and that excellence is have your way. Do whatever you desire. So the inner altar, that's you. And I'll cover the last altar really quick. That's the outer altar. (laughs) You have an inner and you have an outer, right? An outer altar. I want to look at Genesis. I believe it's 12. Genesis 12. I'll just go ahead and read it. Write it down. Flip there if you want. This is Abram. Listen to this. Then, a, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now you've got to think of the life of Abram. He is living this life, doing this thing, and then God just appears and says, Do this. And, it was, and, and we later read that it was counted to Abram as faith. But Abram, the first thing he does is he encounters God. This is backing up what I've been saying this whole time. It starts with encounter. And then it transforms into a lifestyle where Abram built an altar. Josh Lawrence of World Fire Church, he's a friend of mine, and he made this quote that wrecked me. Listen to this. If you wanted to find Abraham, follow the altars. I'll say it over here. If you wanted to find Abraham, follow the altars. Why? Abraham was a laid down lover and a wise master builder. And everywhere he went, he said, the same God that appeared to me in this outer altar, he he promised, I'm going to give this land to your descendants and your offspring. And he lit, so the inner altar, I believe, is for our healing, for our encounter, for our intimacy. And this outer altar is one that we create in faith to take dominion and to take principalities back and to take families back. I really feel the Lord wanting to take masculinity back. 
what it means to be a man. And it starts with laid down lovers, being led by the Lord, believing the word of the Lord, waiting on the Lord, because God didn't say to Abram, he didn't say, I'll give it to you right now, the snap of your fingers. He said, you're going to have to trust me. But my word is good. And Abram was so moved, so moved, he built an altar. He moved, guess what he did? Build an altar. If you wanted to find Abram, build an altar. If I wanted to find you, Miss Vicky, what am I going to follow? The idols or the altars? I want to be like that. Why? Because I'm a master builder. And whether I, 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 I think it or not, I am a master builder. In my mouth, what I say and what I do is building something that generations behind me will see. And what we do and how we respond right now will alter the next 50 years on this earth. And I, don't, I want Zaid to grow up. I want our future children to grow up and say, I encountered God through my mom and dad and them building altars. And when I wanted to know, and when I look at their legacy, I follow the altars. When I think about grandpa, I won't say Reggie. <laughs> when I think about Reggie and I wanted to know, where has Reggie been? What did Reggie do? That's what Danny named him. I follow the altars. I follow the altars. When Abram went back, um, later on it says that when he, when he went back to a place where he previously built an altar, he went there first. And he took a dominion and a principality. He took a region that was for the generations ahead. And I believe he did that because he had an inner altar. He had an encounter. And we don't know what happened between verse 7 and 8, but I believe an inner work happened where he had the faith to believe God. He had the healing to believe God. He had the wholeness to take God at his word. And he could answer, this is who you are. And because of that, I have the faith to build an altar and believe for generations to come. Well, maybe for us right now, it's like, look at gas prices. I don't know who gets elected next. And I don't know with my family, you know, look at Mary and it might be too bad. Boy, this generation of young people, I don't know if there's hope. No, 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 no. I'm not going to partner with that. Because I know who he is. He looked at me and said, Blaine, if you're going to believe that way, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God that has all things underneath of you. Oh, that's right. So there is hope. There is hope. There is hope for my healing. There is hope for my family. There is hope for this region. And for a rundown country folk like me that spent most of his time in the woods and didn't have a very good vocabulary, God come in and changed my life. And even if it was only to touch a few teens, he used me and he can use you. But you first have to become an altar. You first have to lay down your life and say, I am fully yours. No more questions. No more half in. No more ideas. In Timothy, it says, um, when, when, when Paul's telling Timothy, the people that have a form of godliness but deny the power, he doesn't say, go do church with them and do life. He says, have nothing to do with them. Not hate them. He's saying, there's more. There's more. Don't let them hinder you building an altar to me. Because on the altar, here's what I'll say. I had a wrecking encounter one night. I was crying out to God. And uh, notice Abram, when he built the altar, is a place to call out. And that call out means to invite intimately. So there he would call on the name of the Lord saying, come into my life. I want to know you. I want to see you. I believe that's why a handful of Old Testament prophets had a new covenant relationship before the cross. Why? Because they had this inner healing that took place where they called on the name of the Lord. Okay, and so I I had this encounter with God and I'm calling out and he met me in my living room and he said, turn to Leviticus nine because I'm crying out and I'm saying, God, I don't know. I don't I don't like 
Nobody wants to hear the message we have. Like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Oh, should we just give up? And he met me and said, turn to Leviticus 9. And there's so much to this encounter. But um, it was Moses and Aaron. And they lay out the sacrifices and the people are all there. And they lay it out. And they, they, they start to call on the name of the Lord and the fire comes and consumes the sacrifice and all the people were in awe of God. And so why do I say that? Because it's real. And if you will make your life an altar, not only will you experience God, but everyone around you will experience God. And that's what the Lord marked Daniela and I with intimacy and this, all, this message of the altar. Ro knows that we went to Polaris and I told him this vision. I told him this had been a year or so ago. We sat in the, in the flex and I think we talked so long we almost missed them all. <laughs> but I'm telling him this and I'm like, God, Ted, like he'll never make a fool out of us. If we make ourselves an altar and lay it out, he'll always come. He'll always come. He says, you're not an orphan. I'll come to you. He's saying the world won't see me because they don't know me, but you'll see me because you know me. I'm telling you tonight, as we're, this morning, I'm sorry, as we're closing out, this is knowing God. Letting the sin, letting all the world, all that comes with the world die and saying, Lord, I'm yours. I want to lay on the altar. I want to be a holy and pleasing sacrifice for you. Here's my life. Do with it what you want. Consume me, God. And it's there when you lay on that altar, you'll receive your healing. It's there that you'll receive every need. When Teresa, Pastor Teresa shared that, she wasn't praying for a healing. She was crying out for God. I saw Pastor Teresa when we were here in worship and she was kneeling behind the chairs and it touched my heart so much because I can tell she's familiar with the altar. She knows, let me get around here corner with God because he'll meet me. And it's there you start to crave him. And it's there that you start to call on him and he heals you. And you say, I didn't even ask for it. I just said, God, I need you. And he come and said, oh, you're my sacrifice. That pain can't be there anymore. Boom. Why? Because you're mine. And pain can't have the same place as me. And it's there when we experience that, we'll start to build altars for our cities and our families. God can do it. Will you let him? God can do it. Will you let him? God can do it. Will you let him? Will you let him? Will you say, God, I'm done with religious ways and repetition and things I knew. I'm done with my denominational preferences. I'm done with half in, half out. I'm done with my desires. I just want you. Are we there yet? Are we there where we say, God, I see the wars and rumors of wars. I see what's happening in the nations. I see what's happening in my bank account. I see what's happening. But I'm going to let you have all of that and quit hiding behind Christian language. Like, yeah, I know he's good. No, I, God, I want all of you. I want all of you. Fill me. Take me. Consume me. Conform me in your image. That's the language of a lover. That's the language of a laid down lover. And is there anybody here tonight that, or this morning that wants that? Is there anybody? The last few minutes is Richie's playing. I always open the altar. And I believe there's no better place than to acknowledge him before your brothers and sisters. You can say, yeah, I can pray where I'm at. And I agree with you. But there's something special about moving out of your seat and saying, you know, I need a hand laid on me. Because I've gotten off the altar. I've taken my sacrifice back. Or maybe you're saying, I want to be there and I'm not there yet. And we can pray for you and you can do that right now this morning. You can say, I don't know God that way, but I want to. It's here for you this morning. Did you hear me?
This is holy. On this Pentecost Sunday morning, let the fire of God fall. The upper room was a worship setting, I believe, surrounded around the altar. It was a prayer room like Abram where he built the altar and called on the name of the Lord. That's what Acts was. They gathered together in one hunger and one thirst and called out and cried out for the name of the Lord. And he came. His fire came. And I believe that's what can happen this morning. Do you believe it? This altar is open if you want to come. If you want to come, if you want to cry out, let him do it this morning. Let him do it this morning. Let him do it this morning. Jesus. Jesus, we thank you. This altar is open. Make your way down. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And if you have to go, you can go. But listen, if, don't miss this moment if you want it. But if you need to leave, we totally understand. So Heavenly Father, Right now in Jesus' name. Do it, God. Do it, God. Do it, God. Do it, God. Do what only you can do. Touch every heart, Jesus. Far too long we've played Christianity and God, I don't want to play anymore. I want to be consumed. I want to be consumed. I want to be a laid down lover. I want my life to be an altar. I want to be a living, walking experience of you. God, maybe my fire has burned out. Maybe my lampstand's going dim and I just need a fresh fire to fall upon me. Maybe the enemy's tried to weary me. Maybe, maybe I've been so distracted and maybe there's been so much going on that I've taken my gaze off of you. And right now, the Lord is saying, I'll relight the lampstand. I'll be the fire that burns within you. Do it, God. Do it. So, Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you. Touch every heart, God. Even as we leave this building, let us not leave your presence. Let us not leave your wonderful presence. God, I pray that tonight we would be touched and have dreams and visions and visitations. God, that throughout this week we would experience you in a whole new measure. Do it, God. Do it. We're open. So I seal everyone here in the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Have your way, God. Touch everyone at this altar right now. Minister to them. You minister so much better than any person does. So minister to them, God. Touch their hearts. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your wonderful name.